I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball! Okay, it's a great day for a ball game. And uh, you know what? Actually, it is a beautiful day because, I don't know, we're in the midst of December and I'm I'm doing the thing you should not do, which is time your podcast episodes. But uh, it's early December and it's like, I don't know, going to be 55 here or something like that. It's a beautiful, sunny day. Um, good day for baseball, as I like to say. This is Randy Rohde and you've got Running the Bases with Small Businesses. And today is a first on the show where we actually have two guests appearing simultaneously from the same company, so which is good. And so we're pretty excited really to get going and, and find out all of the super success that they've had. Let me introduce for you Christina Supler and Susan Stone, and they are co-chairs of the Student and Athlete Defense Practice Group at KJK Law Firm, based right here in Cleveland. So, ladies, welcome. Thanks for having us. Hi, Randy. Yeah, very good. So, this is kind of fun. We're here in the studio. We've got you both behind mics just sitting here, so who knows where this little magic show is going to go. But I would say let's run those bases, but in what we do for a living, that has a really negative connotation these days. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes. I can, I can, yes, I can only imagine. So... But you ladies work together. You naturally kind of play off of each other. You have your own podcast, which is great. What is the name of your podcast? Real Talk with Susan and Christina. Well, Real Talk. And it could be any. Do you talk about anything or do you just talk about law, your specialty in law? What do you? The podcast has been such an enjoyable experience because we talk about all things student and parent related. So we don't just talk about law. We go into lots of different things. I would say that the issues we talk about, if gone wrong, impact and lead to legal issues. And we're trying to discuss those topics so parents can be more proactive, like cheating and plagiarism and hazing and sexual assault, alcohol abuse. Those are big topics, right? That's <laughs> what they are. Wow. Well, somebody has to talk about and educate on those things. So that's good that you you folks are out there. Before we dig too deep in some of the topics that you cover, why don't you first give me an umbrella overview of the student and athlete defense practice? You're you're a subgroup. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how you define that in a in a law practice, but you're you're a subgroup. I, I will call it that out of a much larger firm here in Cleveland. But tell us about the specific practice that you folks manage. Yeah, so we're not lawyers in the most traditional sense. Our law practice is very different. We have a nationwide practice where we represent students in crisis of all different ages. And so what does that mean, students in crisis? It could be students dealing with educational issues um, in need of supportive plans like an IEP or a 504. But we also represent students going through sexual misconduct proceedings, Title IX proceedings. If there's a related criminal investigation, God forbid, we do defense work as well. And as I mentioned, the students we help are students of all different ages. Are you going to add into that, Susan? Or? I think she said it perfectly. <laughs> you know, when my uh, law partner says something that's perfect and succinct, what's there to say? That's right. So you're good. You know when not to say something. See, this is the first time I've had two guests behind mics. And so I'm like, okay, is the other one going to say something? I don't know. We, we but work this really is hard on trying to exercise restraint. Very believe good. it or not. All right. All right. <laughs> um, how long have you guys um, been doing the practice? When did it originate? Was this something that KJK had done prior to instituting your very specific? Christina, would you, I would say 2011 was when we really started. Would you agree with that or a little earlier? That sounds about right. I mean, over the years, Susan and I came to our work from different backgrounds and in our building of this practice together, something that happened organically, which was 
amazing. We were at a different firm, and I had actually voiced a desire to start a practice representing students. And around that time, ironically, Christina came to the practice in the criminal defense area of the firm. And what happened was more and more of our cases had a criminal overlap, and I needed to work with Christina to get that expertise. I had some criminal defense background, but not like the subject matter level of experience that Christina had, nowhere near that. So we started partnering up on cases, and then it just, that inspiration came to me. I always say it was the best thought I've ever had, other than having my children, is to approach Christina and say, I think we're on to something. I think we could build out a practice dedicated to representing students. And there had been attorneys out there in Cleveland who represented younger students who needed help getting better educational plans. And there had been criminal defense students. And there had certainly been emerging this whole area of Title IX defense. But I conceived of an idea much broader. And then when Christina came in, she brought in that criminal defense area of our practice. And from there, we grew to reputation management and restorative justice and research misconduct. And the areas are just growing. But it really was unique at the time we started it. Mm. I would just add something that's truly unique as well about what we do is that we, we realized right away very early on we enjoyed We both like working in teams collaboratively, and then also we both enjoy working with women. And not that that was an express goal or criteria that we established at the outset, but through our work together over the years, of course, we enjoyed working with each other. And we noticed when we were partnering, and truly our work together is a partnership, we are equals, and consistently at various turns, there'd be outside influences that would really try to if not encourage, tug at us to, well, you could do this without her. You don't need each other. You could cover more ground if you split up. And the more we thought about it, the more we're like, no, that's not our model. That's not what we want to do. Got it. That's why hashtag more power together. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Very good. All right. So let me get a little more background, I guess, on the two of you. And uh, obviously individually, I guess. So I'll start with Susan. Have you always thought, and this will be a question kind of for both of you, maybe, have you always thought that you wanted to be an attorney? My daughter is in eighth grade. In her mind, she's going to Harvard, going to Harvard Law, wants to be an attorney. That's where her mindset is. And I might even ask her or ask you if she can come in and intern next summer in your big, beautiful building. But have you always known that you've wanted to be an attorney? When did that sprout, I guess? And, well, and what was that path like? In high school, I was on the high school debate team. My daughter was sixth in state last year. I lost, I was, I lost final round of state, second in the state. And can I tell you, I am 55. You're still not over it. Still (laughs) not over losing in final round. But I had two paths that I was really interested in. The first path was I love the theater, but sadly I can't sing a note. I love it. Good. And yes. my second passion was being a lawyer. Eventually, it occurred to me that there was true drama in being a trial attorney. So yeah, I merged sure. the two loves. But sometimes I have to tell you, Randy. You miss? Do you, do you like walk around the house singing show well, tunes? No, or do, but oh. I love drama and oh. I love theater and I tend to flare on the dramatic. <laughs> yes. So life with me is the stage. Yeah, I would say for myself, I... Believe it or not, I did always know that I wanted to be a lawyer. And it was funny, not terribly long ago, one day my mother stops by my house, which she does, and she is always bringing goodies. And she's like, oh, have this. I found this. And I look. It's this monstrous report I did in fourth grade about how to be a criminal defense attorney. And it's funny because, first of all, I couldn't believe my mother still had that. I knew early on I wanted to be in law. I didn't plan necessarily as I got older to go into criminal defense. It's just something that happened. And it was a wonderful, enjoyable experience. And then as happens with all of us, as time passed, my interests grew broader and, you know, I moved on and developed it into different areas of law. So it's been great. That's interesting. So I do want to talk about 
kind of the different areas of law. But first, are you both local Northeast Ohio kind of people here, born, raised? Right, born and raised in South Euclid, went to Brush High School. I was, ah, I'm an archie. One of my good friends went to Brush as well. Yeah. So that's very fun. I'm a public school kid. Did you, uh, Christina, you? Yeah, yeah, born and raised in Northeastern Ohio, there went away go. for school, came back. And All right. College, law schools, what, what's the... CV I'm Ohio here. girl, Miami, UK, Western. Ah, my wife went to Miami, so she's a Miami grad. What about you? Where'd you go, Christina? So I left for a while to do my undergrad in Boston at Boston University uh, and then came back and did law school at Cleveland Marshall. All right. So now you're back. You're here. You're practicing. You touched on this thing about different types of law or different specialties, maybe, of law. And I know we've had several... I shouldn't say several. I've had two attorneys as guests. One specialized in IP, which I found quite fascinating. Another is a little bit more business focused, probably some general, but really his, his specialty is business. Um, I, I can't even imagine how many different uh, areas of practice there are, but why did you decide? So Susan, what would you say is your specialty of law? Taking care of students. Just the student focus. I really, I mean, we do represent professors and we have represented other professionals in right. crisis that are related to more administrative in nature. But the core of what we do is help families in crisis. And I always wanted to work with students and families, but I didn't want to be a divorce lawyer. That I had dabbled in it and I've actually, I think all attorneys one time or another touch on that, perhaps. But I remember thinking I wanted to pick an area of law that touched on my core values. And when I think of myself, I'm a mom. And when I started practicing law, I remember that it was really hard for mothers to juggle career and family. Not so much today, especially working from home and part-time and different working options. But I remember being home once and of my first baby crying in the background of a meeting. And I remember being really worried about what type of presentation that would make to the client or my coworkers. And then I thought to myself, I need to embrace who I am. And at the core, I'm a mother bear. And there is nothing wrong with it. So I get paid to do what I naturally want to do. And that's fiercely take care of people. Well, well stated. I like that. The mother bear taking care of people. All right. Title nine is really, you go to your website, your title nine attorneys, title nine. Can you give a, maybe a broad definition of what that is? Because I, I know from my own experience in working with you, it really encompasses a lot of topics, but maybe for our audience, can you give a broad definition and then maybe some of the more specific kinds of things? That's a great question. So most people, when they think of Title IX, if they've ever even heard of it, conceive of it in the context of athletics. Right, and right. so gender equality so that male and female students can have the same opportunities in collegiate athletics. But over the years, it's grown and evolved to have application as of 2011 to preventing sexual assault on college campuses and in how educational institutions respond to that and essentially help keep students safe. And so it's a statute that some would say has become politicized over the years in its application, but the way in which Susan and I interface with it day in and day out is students who are dealing with various issues that at the heart of the issue is sexual assaults and sexual harassment. Susan, you want to add anything to that? Or? No, when she keeps yeah. saying it so right, <laughs> like <laughs> why add more frosting when the cake looks good? Yeah. yeah. I like that. Uh, that is good. So that's a great definition. How about some of the more specific kinds of things? Cause I, I mean, they're literally probably a, a dozen or more specific things that you touch on in Title IX. Absolutely. But at the core, it comes down to a miscommunication mm. when engaging in sexual activity. Whether it's two drunk people and they were too drunk to obtain consent 
or they were using drugs and alcohol and they woke up the next morning and they said they were blackout drunk and they didn't recall and they felt like there was not the ability to confer consent or something happened during the actual sex. We have seen people say that they regretted not using condoms and having to use a plan B the next morning. Or we're seeing a real uptick on rough sex, choking, when, and uh, different types of spanking cases. Yes, parents out there, your kids know about this. You just need to talk to them about this. And we also see a lot of different sexual harassment, you know, what would have been considered flirting may be considered harassment today or may truly be harassment. We have a case where there was a bad breakup and one partner was constantly texting and calling and it really frightened the other partner. We also have a new trend of cases where we call cancel culture, where someone gets a bad reputation and other students go online and accuse the student of being a sexual harasser or a rapist and virtually destroys the student's reputation in the court of public opinion without any evidence. The tentacles are manifold. So all of this and and what your specialty, I guess, as well, is because you take the cases that are specifically involved or in the academic or education institutions specifically. And, And that could be, I'm guessing as well, at any level, of scholastic institution could be high school, college, mm-hmm. post, right? Title IX applies in elementary school, yeah, grade school, high school, and beyond. And that's mm. something that I think, with a more recent change in the federal regulations, schools are schools have been instructed to basically really implement Title IX in with the grade schools and the high schools. And that's something that I think a lot of educators more recently have been struggling with how to, how to do that. Because, mm. of course, the way that you would interface with a, a 21-year-old versus a 16-year-old right. versus a 10-year-old, you know, the, the behavioral norms for the different age groups are different, of course. Right. We also represent students on the autism spectrum. And for their title nine, aside from any sexual aspect of it, but more so around their rights as a individual with. Well, with younger students, we deal with title nine in terms of making sure that they have the right educational placement. Right. And with older students, we see a lot of miscommunication in college campus with students on the spectrum, whether students hear other groups of kids making jokes and they take it to the next level and say things inappropriate or masturbating in your bedroom and your roommate not finding that so much fun to watch or sending repeated letters to get a girl's attention and the other girl feel like she's being stalked and trying to communicate proper, healthy boundaries to students who struggle reading social communication skills. And then sadly, since the pandemic, we've had a lot more criminal cases. Mm. During the pandemic, I, I don't know if it's a byproduct of us as a whole being you know, cooped up in our houses and just not having the social outlets that are generally there. But sadly, that we have seen a real rise in sexual assault matters that lead to criminal investigations and perhaps charges as well. And in fact, within those cases, just what I would say is generally more aggressive behavior. I mean, Mm. we're seeing some cases now that are just bizarre. Like, and obviously you've got some boundaries that you can communicate in, but are, are these instances when you're saying more aggressive behavior, like on via online channels or physical proximity? Yeah, that's a great question because it's really been both. We're seeing more people, frankly, wander into the dark corners of the internet where no one should go. But then also when people are going online to explore more dating relationships and hookups and Tinder and all of that. And that also, I I think, arguably has led to a rise in criminal investigations mm. for people who are engaging in sexual contact or conduct with each other. And 
some some instances are just flagrant crimes, and then other cases are it's more of a situation where you have to ask maybe is this a byproduct of these people not really knowing each other at all before mm-hmm. sort of venturing down a path of sexual interaction. Uh, one of the conversations we have with parents all the time when their students are in trouble is college readiness. Mm. Parents have a hard time understanding that once you send your student to school, the college is not going to notify the parents when things go wrong. They are adults. Now, anyone who's met an 18-year-old or (laughs) has an 18-year-old, knows that you don't magically become an adult <laughs> right when you get that high school diploma. I am a big fan of gap years. I am a big fan of maybe having your kid work a job and really making sure we shove kids out because we feel compelled, like that's the next step. But we see a lot of kids get sent back, and a lot of this could have been avoided with a little more what I call growing time. One of the problems of college is that for the first time for some kids, they're away from home. There's unfettered access to alcohol, drugs. There's no one telling you you have to be home at curfew. And you're exploring sex at a time when there is Title IX and there is a way where if something goes wrong, the consequences are very real that you could be expelled or prosecuted. It's just not, this is not the 70s and the 60s or the 80s when I went to college. Right, yeah, yeah. It's so fascinating, I think, in so many, yes, well, I'll say it this way. I think our world today is fraught with a lot of landmines for the unsuspecting 18-year-olds going off to college could easily detonate into something that was completely innocent in the sense of intent. But it's interesting you, you kind of talk about the gap gear and the, and how kids are prepared for school. We were just having this conversation with some friends of ours who their child is graduating, will be going off to college, and but was didn't participate in a lot of high school parties and was not out doing a lot. And they were a little concerned, like, God, I don't know if our son is ready to go off. And all of a sudden he's going to be like, Hey, come on out and come to the park. I'm up to my room. You know, we're doing all of this stuff. And whether, you know, and so this parent was like, well, maybe we should have encouraged a little bit of that just to expose him or something like that. So I don't know whether good or bad, but I, you know, it's always the challenge that we have as parents, right? Trying to uh, prepare our kids. Yeah, I mean, I would say that we see pretty regularly the cases that, like, at the core is this idea that freedom can be intoxicating. What and a pun. There you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in the pun club in high school. Uh-oh. <laughs> Susan puns hard. I puns um, hard. And, and also we say to parents, know your kid. You know, right. be honest with yourself about who your child is. Some kids at 18, I say kids because, let's face it, 18 is... Like, who cares? You're arbitrarily an right. adult. But some some students are ready for the freedom of college, but some aren't. And I think particularly with those students who aren't, we see them succumb to making pressure, poor choices pressure. with drugs and alcohol and getting involved in hazing situations. We deal with a lot of cases, um, student misconduct cases with Greek life, although it's not always Greek life. Some The Greek life gets blamed for things that, you know, you also see it with sports teams and just other student organizations where there is a lot of hazing that's going on and students don't want to do it, but they also don't know how to say no or get out of it. Right, right. Randy, there's a words in today's vocabulary for college students that I never used when I went to college. They talk about blackout more than I ever thought about it browning out, gray out, greening, greening. That was Mm. a term I just learned. And these terms, it's not unusual for these students to say they're going to go get so drunk that they're blackout drunk. Mm. And that's terrifying as a parent because as you know, you could choke to death and die. Right. And I'll also add that, you know, social media has made it so hard for people to make mistakes mm. and a mistake or whatever the circumstance might be, we see it amplified. 
on scales previously unimaginable because of the impact of social media, tweets, an Instagram post, a video not thinking, oh, geez, this shouldn't be on the Internet. No one should ever see this at all. And as we all know, when something's on the Internet, it's likely on the Internet. Yes. Yeah. And it's out there for a while. And, you know, not to make light of it, but I'm certainly glad that the world of the internet and social was not in place when I was in college in the eighties. <laughs> I'm glad there isn't a social oh, media watching wow. me all the time right now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine we all yeah. have our moments that are, we're less than proud of. Right. An amazing field that you navigate in and such a, a necessary field, I think, in your representation. We always say you never know when the phone rings or we get a new email client inquiry. You just never know what's going to be there. Right. And it's what I love about what we do is day in and day out. We're, we're talking to families, to parents, to children. In, in telling stories, listening right. to stories, all of that. That's what I was going to say. I would imagine probably when you say every phone call is a unique, personal, individual, nuanced story situation. And there's probably not any one case that is the same. I would also want to circle back to what makes us a little bit different. Yeah. And go back to that concept of our team approach Our cases are mentally draining. When you are talking to parents about the most important person in their life, it's uh, no parent would say anything other than their child. As someone who's been married before, you can get divorced and remarried, but that child is yours forever. That is your flesh and blood. That is, there is no deeper love than of that parent-child connection. So we see people really at their worst. And we see people break down. We see people get angry. It is helpful that we are on the phone together because, mm. you know, we're human beings too. And we're each other's shock absorbers. Mm. And we also find that we have very, very different personalities. It's not good cop, bad cop. It's just different personalities. And sometimes even we see our roles shift. And it's nice for students to have that option. We always say, you know, who would you like to sit next to you at the hearing? We don't care. You're not hurting our feelings. We feel that it's a a product that we're offering. Some want to sit next to Christina. Some want to sit next to me. That's okay. Right. And that's what makes it better for the client, but also for us when we have dicey situations, because I will be frank with you, a lot of times we're telling people things that they don't want to hear and we can offend people and we can hurt feelings. And we're not trying to do that or trying to give our advice. Obviously, we want to make people happy, but sometimes you have to do the right thing. And it's not always, we're not yes women. Mm-hmm. We're not going to just agree with you because we have experience and we've seen things go south and we want to help families. And it's just nice to have someone with you when you're delivering difficult news. And we don't always agree with each other. And we find that ultimately, long term, it helps us provide better legal advice and guidance to our clients. When Susan and I are not on the same page with each other, we will sort of have our own internal discussion, dialogue perhaps tussle a little. And ultimately, we do recognize the value in doing that and talking an issue through. And I think it does really bring bear better legal advice for the clients. So well stated. I love that. And it's great that you guys have each other and that you have a team. I do want to talk more about the team and the kind of the organization maybe of the practice as a whole. The business um, side. Yes, exactly. Yeah, let's talk about uh, that. Yeah. But first, do you ladies like baseball? I like the hot dogs. <laughs> hey, I like the hot dogs. Absolutely. Well, it's that time. Right and now. it's time for the seventh inning stretch. All right. It's time for the seventh inning stretch. This. Yes, here we go. So this is where I get to ask you a little bit about, I don't know, something that's related to law and uh, baseball. So your niche, right? And I try to come up with some questions that might uh, not necessarily stump you, but just in relating with baseball a little bit. So you're ready for this. You're ready for the pitch? Ready. So I'm not. All right. <laughs> 
So as we know, uh, baseball teams, as you can imagine, sports teams, they have either in-house law groups or offices. General counsels. Or they're going to have somebody outsourced to represent. Here's the question. What is the average number of in-house lawyers on an MLB team? So there's 30 teams. What do you think the average number of in-house attorneys are? One. Not, not that, you know, and oftentimes the CEOs of these organizations, you know, have a law degree, but we're talking specifically like in-house attorneys. I think one. That's the average number? I think so. Mm. I'm going to say five. Mm, kind of right in between, actually, three. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's what makes you a good team. You, you know, like you're, hitting, you're covering the bases right there. That's good. Three. Yes, that's the answer. Three. Three. That seems like a lot. I don't know. Five would be like a lot. I, but a lot of money, a lot of people. There is a lot, lot of, of money. They do have. And we were talking with the IP attorney and, and realized that in MLB, there's over 207 trademarks alone in MLB that well, they've got to worry about. We represent students mm-hmm. accused of misconduct. And so we <laughs> deal with their issues. And I can only imagine that we handle a small yeah. niche of what happens with regard to when you're accused of misconduct, are you allowed to stay on the team? How does that affect your eligibility? Can you transfer? What's going to happen in your conference? So I can only imagine someone managing a whole team. Yeah. 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 That would be amazing. I will say in another life, I have worked on some criminal cases with professional athletes and Uh They're interesting cases because you have many bosses, so to speak. Yeah, you're, you're constantly getting inundated by phone calls from you name it because there's so many people with financial interests sure. in the, the product, the yes. athlete, right? So I'm imagining that could get very complicated very quickly. All right. Well, that was uh, our uh, seventh inning stretch. You guys handled that very well. A nice hit, to, I will say, and uh, circled the bases. So let's get back to it. Play ball. All right. So before we got into the seventh, we started inter- introducing the concept of law as a business and your mm. business, right? And how you organize it. So you you stated, you, you know, you have it. And I know that the team is more than just the two of you. So tell us maybe a little bit about what is the organization of the practice? How do you operate being co-chairs of the organization? How do you operate then the management of the team? Well, we're very lucky that we're part of a firm. So we are partners at Corman Jackson Krantz that provides us with infrastructure, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, marketing support, and right. accounting support, and a wonderfully supportive general counsel. However, in terms of our actual practice, we've naturally divide different business development aspects between us, and it can shift from time to time. We both have to work on bills, right? Everybody does. It's just the ugly secret that you have to deal with. You got to get paid. Right. And the decisions on how to price our services are mutually Mm -hmm. determined, but Mm -hmm. marketing is a really strong element that we are constantly learning more about and changing. How do we message what Mm. we do? How are we different from other attorneys? What else do we want to convey to parents out there about who we are? Because we consider ourselves more than just attorneys. Mm -hmm. We want to be people you go to to discuss different issues of parenting and where the cross-section of student errors or student needs and the legal world intersect. And so we have a podcast, we write, we speak, we have social media, and all of that is about developing not just our business, but the message that we want to send out to hopefully prevent legal issues. Shameless plug, check us out on Instagram, at Stone Supler, or the podcast, Real Talk with Susan and Christina. There. I like that shameless plug. <laughs> no, it's good. Good. Sneak it right in there. So uh, you've started the practice. Was it, it in 2011? Was that, is that what I pulled out earlier or roughly? I don't, roughly, 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 because before we came to Corman Jackson Krantz, we were at another firm and we basically organically started 
doing what we're doing now, but we didn't necessarily have all the labels. Okay. And, and so when did when did you start student and athlete defense at KJK? June of 2018. 2018. So I'll just mark that as like, that's the beginning of this particular practice. So what were, I'm interested, we have so many of our listeners are small business owners. They're, they're focused on how do we grow our business? How do we, how do we deal with the challenges that they're faced on day in and day out? You know, I'm a business owner. You are business ladies managing a business challenge with growing, with paying the bills, with managing your staff. What were some of the challenges in the early days that you came upon? How did you identify? How did you overcome? So I would say lawyers love the cliche. There's the practice of law and the business of law. Uh And they're two very, very different things. Something that, speaking for myself, that I in particular have had to realign my thinking on, I I am a softie, I'm a sucker for a sob story and not being able to pay bills. And this notion of, the bill feels a little high, maybe we can can agree to, to shave some off of it. And while there's times that one can and should do that, it's been also sort of an evolution. Wait, I have to have respect for myself as a professional. My, my time is indeed valuable and worth money. Indeed, there's a very specific metric of what my time is worth. And to run a successful business, you, you can't just, you have to hold firm and, and collect the value of what you're worth. I would say that we each have different challenges, which is also what makes us a, a good partnership, I would say that that would not be my challenge at all. I'm very comfortable pricing something and having very candid conversations and also saying to people, time to pay your bill. For some reason, I... Are you shocked to hear that, Randy? Oh, wait, no, you're not. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Yes, Susan. (laughs) My biggest challenge, we were very lucky, by the way, I would say we have a wonderful paralegal student advocate who's been with us and also came to with us when we transitioned. But at the end of the day, I really only like working with Christina (laughs) and Dana. Shout out to Dana. It's been very hard to trust and delegate and you can't grow. You can't expand unless you build your team. And the magic of our partnership is I trust Christina as much as I trust myself and a lot of times more than I trust myself. But to gain that trust in someone else and have the confidence that the work will get done, it'll be followed up in and that I don't have to worry has been a struggle for me. And that actually is something that I've very much struggled with as well. I mean, we have been consistently encouraged, build out your team, build out your team. We're like, yeah, we're going to do that for sure. But it's something easier said than done, particularly with respect to hiring young lawyers or, or new lawyers, I should say. Age has nothing to do with it, but new lawyers who and training them up. And then ultimately, it, it's not just training in law in particular, training on the nuts and bolts. What does the black letter law say? But particularly with respect to our practice area and what we do, there's the human component. And so having lawyers and other professionals on our team who can work with individuals of all different ages in crisis, who can work with individuals, an array of communication levels, Mm -hmm. intellectual abilities, because we, we represent brilliant med students. And then we also are communicating directly with teens who have various perhaps speech issues or other sort of cognitive issues. And so you have to be able to adjust and be in tune with your client and meeting your client where he or she is. So really it comes building your team, expanding and having the right people on your team and to to essentially round out all of the talents and skills of everybody else. So just like in baseball, right? You've, not everybody is the pitcher. There's I, different roles. Right. What I didn't know is that, you know, we all went, well, Christine and I went to law school and we wanted to be lawyers. But to be a successful lawyer with a national practice, half your day, you really have to think about the marketing piece of your business. And you have to be 
always mindful of writing quality content and speaking and meeting people and getting the right messaging and hiring the outside vendors that are going to support your business. And that takes away from the actual time you spend working on your cases and that juggle and that time management. And you want a personal life. And I have not been able to yet take a vacation where I don't work. And I know Christina has not had that luxury yet at all, but we always talk about how do you achieve that balance. And I think when you really are invested in your own business, you never are really off the clock. That's not real. Yeah. I think as small business owners, I think you just live that life that it, it is a lifestyle as much, you know, not necessarily a job. It is, it's what we do. We, we invest so much of, of who we are in the success of the business, the practice, whatever it may be. That's right. And I think Susan and I have also really come to recognize the importance of the time, the time you work in your business, but the time you work on your business. And at times when we have not, when we've struggled to find a balance with the time and we're super focused on the cases and not as much of time spent, you know, working on our business and dreaming. The dreaming is just as important. Otherwise, you know, things, things get stale or you don't sometimes maybe feel as fulfilled as you'd like. And so Susan and I have really over the years been very mindful of how to be disciplined on building in that time for creativity and sort of dreaming about what what the next aspect of our law practice looks like. A a few episodes back, we did a show called The Random Show, and we had our guest on that show, Ken Fanger. One of the things that he does with his team is a big IT service team. And one of the things that he does is you're talking about this dreaming and thinking about and thinking, growing the business. They do something that he called it whiteboard Wednesdays. And so they take a, I don't, I'm not sure if he even said how long, whether it's an hour or whatever, but every Wednesday they sit and they just like go in front of a whiteboard and just kind of dream. Like what, what could we do? What, what are the, you know, what are, what's, beyond the horizon kind of thing, thinking about what their business could be and what are some of the things that they may want to pursue and get involved with. And I I thought the concept was great. I know I had always shared in, in my lives of different vocations, I've always talked to people about you have to spend time thinking about your business beyond just the day to day grind of it, because otherwise you'll never think about how do you expand it appropriately. So you have to kind of disengage yourself a little bit and try to look at it from the outside in. And then it enables you to become, I think, much more creative uh, and take a completely different approach about growth. Well, the pandemic forced that. Yeah. I mean, who would have ever anticipated that schools would shut down? Now, for a practice made for students to have issues at school, that was not a good moment for both of us. It was a moment where we looked at each other and were like, what do we do? There's no one at school. Well, ironically, the cheese moved, right? People were home. We saw an uptick in computer cheating and more cyber types of defamation cases and reputation management and kids saying naughty things about each other and really destroying each other. And that forced us to think about how we could build up those aspects of our practice, Mm. which now are a major part of what we do. But it's that ability to roll with what happens with the world and adjust your business. Right. I was just going to ask you actually about how the pandemic has maybe changed your approach or how you serve, how you interact, even how you potentially become aware or, or pick up clients from that standpoint. It's been really interesting because as Susan said, when the pandemic hit, we had this moment of fear and panic And we realized that, okay, we just have to change our view of how we do our work. And so we realized that we really could fully embrace the virtual environment. Pre-pandemic, Susan and I were on airplanes literally every week, flying here, there, and everywhere all over the country. And once COVID, you know, 
we sort of like, okay, it's here. We have to figure out how, how we're going to continue on. This thing isn't going away anytime soon. Right. We developed a way to interface with all of our clients virtually. And now it's really interesting. We still have a nationwide practice. Our students, our clients are all over the country, literally from Portland to like the Caribbean and abroad. Antarctica. Um, Do you remember we had yeah. a case at an Antarctica outpost? Wow. That's right. And so with the various you know video conferencing platforms now, we don't have to travel. And we're doing hearings and meetings with schools virtually and Certainly there was a learning curve to that, but we've really figured out how to do it and I think do it well. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I almost think in some ways now we've figured out how to adjust to the virtual environment and it's enabled us to do our job in a more effective manner than previously. I think the question that gets asked of us is that people observe that we're both strong personalities. We're both alpha females. We are alpha, so you know. And how do we manage that? You know, how do, how do two queen bees work together, right? Right, right? And I, one is respect. We deeply respect each other's opinion. And we instituted many years ago a rule that if one person says that something is deeply important to them, then that's the decision. And the other person does not second guess it. If, it, if Christina says to me, you know what, this is how I feel and it's important and we use those words, that's all I need to know. Right. I don't care. I don't ask further. Decision is done. And that has really freed us both up. Now, ironically, what we didn't anticipate is when both of us don't care about something, things can go awry. Because when both of us are like, I don't care, do you care? I don't care. <laughs> and then it means that both of us are not paying attention to something. So it's usually a better sign when right. one of us chimes in. But that rule yeah. that we do not break, yeah. that's like the first, second, and third commandment of our working relationship. That's a great rule for business partnership and for marriage. <laughs> the other thing I would add to that is, believe it or not, though we're both very strong alpha females. We also, in many ways, I think, are try to, though we don't always succeed, embrace humility. So in other words, maybe I'm not the smartest person in the room. Maybe I don't know how to do X, Y, Z task, and that's okay. I just have to find other smart people who know how to do that and invite them onto our team outsource services to them. It, whatever the issue might be, you don't always have to know the most or be the smartest. You just have to know the people with the answers. Right. You have to be curious. Yeah, I would say to anybody starting a business, just be curious. You don't need to know everything. In fact, who does? But if you're curious and you ask a lot of questions, Someone out there is going to know it. And sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes it's a long, long, long road. Mm. We are Googling every day, yeah. everything, or we'll pick up a phone and call a colleague. Hey, I, we did it the other day. Mm -hmm. We were arguing over something and we picked up the phone and called a colleague and got a third opinion. And then we didn't even like that opinion, <laughs> but it led us to some more research where we found the answer and did a reframe on an argument. So... I would say to anyone, wherever, wherever they are in life, foster curiosity. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, that kind of brings us into what I'm going to say the bottom of the ninth, where I you know, seek your advice for other business owners, people who are thinking about jumping into the game. You ladies have been very successful in building your practice and have done some wonderful things. What kind of advice do you have for folks just uh, getting into either starting their business and or that they're operating a new operation? You go first. <sighs> That's a good question. And I think to follow up on truly dovetail with Susan's point about curiosity, I, I would say don't do something because it's what everyone else is doing. Who cares, right? That's already in the market. Figure out what your dream is, what you want, and fail forward. I mean, that's something that Susan and I have picked up along the way. And, and some of what we do, we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we did that. Like, that really did not work. But then you figure out how to grow and evolve 
and improve. And that, I think, is what has allowed us to have some really, really great success. I would say that when you're starting a business with a partner, do not let money ever become an issue in your partnership. I think that's very important. One of the most important decisions we made early on in our partnership is that whatever came in, we would split 50-50, that we'd be a full partnership and it would never, ever, ever be a discussion. Did you bring it in? Did I do more work? We were never going to be that way with each other. And because of that, that removed a whole layer of issues that we have seen other partnerships struggle with. In fact, this is a really interesting story that I would love to share with you, Randy. We were once working with somebody on an idea that we had. And the three of us went to pitch this new idea. The idea is irrelevant. And we were walking back into the partnership and she's the parking lot, sorry. And the woman started arguing with us what would be the split if we landed the client. And of course, it's important to have discussions, sure. but we didn't even land the business. And ironically, we, we didn't, didn't land the business. <laughs> and early on, we got in the car, we were driving separately, and we called each other, and we knew we couldn't work with this person. Mm. Because the value, she was arguing with us, and she wasn't focused on what was really important, which should have been, did we sell the product right? Were we going to land it? What follow-up would we could do? You know, it just was like, right. these aren't our values. Right, right. Good advice. I love the just be curious. I, I love that. That is just great. Aside from business, that is just good life, I, I think, advice. That's what I always challenge my kids about. Be curious. Be be curious. Always want to learn. Well, listen, it's been so fun on the show, having you together on the show. Our pleasure. Three Thank mics you. going. It's always fun. Yeah. and uh, For the work you've done in helping us grow our business, because well, with, yeah. since we've hired you, we've really seen an uptick. So Good. I well, thought I I'd plug that. you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, that's the ball game, as we say. And so thanks for joining us today, folks. And if you liked our show, please tell your friends, subscribe and review, and we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com. Thank you.